everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. Now I invite you to settle in and let's find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies. And our time together is just as meaningful and sacred as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. All right, I have to admit that that it has been a while since I've said that, and it feels so good. If you tune into our YouTube channel, you'll see I'm beaming from ear to ear because we batched a bunch of these podcast productions early in the year so that I would have some time to create some workshops and some course creations and things like that, which is what we've been really working on. But it was time to get re-engaged and I'm so excited, even though the topic today is a little heavy, um, it's very critical that we are talking about this stuff right now. And if you hear some scratching going on, my grand dog decided to get up and make a new nest in uh, the bed right beside my desk. So um, I think that's an important note if you're hearing anything. All right. So today's podcast is entitled A Case for Separation of Church and State. This is not only a hot topic right now. Like I said, it's it's critical for the future of this country. And it is not understating it to say that our future of all, that the future of our democracy is at stake. And there has been enough written about that. If you're paying attention from political historians to uh, political scientists saying it's time to take action to protect uh, our democracy, to protect our voting rights. So this is my little contribution to this because the intersection of spirituality with religion and politics, we who consider our spirituality deeply interwoven into how we show up, into our humanity and our responsibility to create a world that is for the good of the whole. So elevating the human consciousness, but also the human condition, which means addressing things that oppress, suppress, or misalign goods and services for uh, to, to people who, of privilege and away from the marginalized, historically mar marginalized groups. So of course, I'll, I'll, I'll include a lot of references for this that will be in the show notes. So be looking for those. All right, but just a little bit of background here. Recently on uh, TikTok, I had created a video speaking out about this deep and disturbing connection between politicians and Christian evangelicalism, because this is something that our followers have asked us so that they can understand it better. Admittedly, so many of us are not as in tune with politics as what we probably should be. It's not so outside of our high school classes in um, politics or government or anything like that. We probably haven't gotten as involved as what we should. So there are many trustworthy people, I hope to include myself in that, who can help you understand how these things are, are impacting one another. That video got a lot of response. And since then, I've done some other things which tie that, which create that bridge from uh, what we call extremist Christianity, American, uh, modern American evangel evangelicalism to current politics. So 
like I said, there are a lot of people that are making co uh, content about the threat to our democracy, why it's important that we pr protect our voting rights and uh, why it's important to push back on this extremist these extremist policies that you're seeing impl being implemented in this at the state level across the nation. But what people are really not talking about, which is what we want to talk about, is the intersection of extremism in Christianity and how it is at the core of much of what is happening right now. Christians were present and singing gospel hymns at the insurrection of January 6th. At the height of the pandemic in 2020, our, our then Vice President Mike Pence got up at the podium at a press release, at a press briefing, White House press briefing. This was about the coronavirus. And he urged Americans, one of the first things he said was he urged Americans to continue to pray and tithe because of all the good work the churches were doing during the pandemic. Now, he didn't mention any other of the organizations or nonprofits that were doing similar work. The only nonprofits that he singled out and encouraged Americans to continue to contribute to are the ones who do not pay taxes and also do are not required by IRS codes to reveal what they do with the funds that are donated to them. Every other nonprofit has to reveal those through very decent, if you're a 501c3, you have to reveal your financial statements. So the Christian groups which funded Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse's defense team, they also created a GoFundMe to support Ashley Babbitt, calling Rittenhouse a hero and Ashley Babbitt a martyr for their cause. Very much entrenched into this violent, this violent encroachment on our democracy. We know that Christian 80%, 80% of the evangelicals voted for Donald Trump in 2016. That number barely changed for 2020. And it's likely that that number is not going to change for anything that's going to happen in elections, in the election cycle, starting with 2022. Christians are very much against the uh, critical race theory, even though the vast majority of them cannot even tell you what it is. And they are convinced that, quote, we liberals are infiltrating our public school system with this. And that is not true. Critical race theory is simply an, an educational aspect of our history that reflects authentically the good with the bad. Because in our, in our educational system, and I for one can tell you I'm a complete product of, of public education, I never remember a history lesson. Now granted, I was a, I was a pretty good average student. B was always my goal. I would settle for a C and history was one of my favorite subjects. I never remember a history lesson that casts the colonizers, the early colonial settlers in a bad light. They were always the heroes. They were always the martyrs coming away from an oppressed existence in England. Uh, Columbus was a hero. All of those things, critical race theory 
is about understanding that no matter who we are, even in our own lives, we are not perfect. It's understanding, like if I'm talking about myself and I tell my life story, I have a lot of mistakes that I need to own. It's the only way I can continue to make sure that I'm not going to repeat those mistakes. If we deny those, then we are a country that's destined to repeat itself. And I think that that's exactly what's happening right now. So there's a really interesting article, um, a video circulating, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes that shows a a gentleman being interviewed about critical race theory, and he does not support it. He wants, he wants nothing to do with it. He wants his family to know, to not have anything to do with it. But when he's tasked with explaining what it is, he can't. He said he doesn't want to get into that because he doesn't know what it is. He just knows he doesn't like it. And why does he know he doesn't like it? Because the news media and the talking heads that he's listening to has told him he doesn't like it. The main purpose for those talking points is to convince people that their fear is valid. And I I have seen, I have witnessed this. I was entrenched in it. I was indoctrinated in it when I was an evangelical Christian. I know that how real, how palpable that fear is. And fear is one second away from hate. And hate often leads to violence. Now you'll see behind me on my desk, I just noticed it was there, a copy of the 1776 report that was commissioned by the White House when uh, former President Donald Trump was our president because he uh, had this report commissioned in response to the 1619 project. And I'll try to find here, I've got all kinds of tabs open up as I was doing my research here. Uh, about what people are saying. This is from the NBCnews.com, which says that Trump's administration 1776 report, quote, warps the history of racism and slavery. I read quite a bit of it. I need to finish it. And what I see as well is reminiscent of what my history books sounded like. Very much uh, the the white uh, male hero uh, that, that comes in and, and saves the day, if you will, in that America uh, Western style is what I'm reading so far. 1619, if you, again, let me look at these, you know, they were all right here and it's like now they're, they all look the same. I'm reading from uh, the New York Times, which uh, is the, I don't wanna say the author because it was a collective group, but this is where you'll find the 1619 project. It starts in August of 1619, a ship appeared on this horizon near Point Comfort coastal port in the English colony of Virginia. It carried more than 20 enslaved Africans who were sold to the colonists. No aspect of the country that would be formed here has been untouched by the years of slavery that followed. On the 400th anniversary of this fateful, fatal, fateful moment, it is finally time to tell our story truthfully. This is an initiative of the New York Times Magazine that began in August of 2019, the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. That is the foundational aspect of the 1619 Project. There is no harm here in us learning about our history. It doesn't change who we are other than recognizing that there was a system in place 
that very much relied on the enslavement of Black humans, and it started a lot earlier than what we have been led to believe. Now, these are just a few of the samplings. Also, later uh, this past week, I also did a video uh, on Ashley Babbitt. I'm sorry, not Ashley Babbitt, Lauren Boebert. And Lauren, um, using a very Islamic, uh, Islamophobic joke towards uh, Ilhar Omar, Ilhan Omar. And it's a lie. It was fabricated. And no one has condemned, not, no one from the Republican Party has condemned Boebert for telling that joke. One of the first things that Boebert has on her website is that she's a Christian. One of the first things that Marjorie Taylor Greene has on her website is she's a Christian. That is, in, that is intentional. They are immediately the people who are inciting the most fear and anger and violence are immediately aligning themselves with the very people that they think will vote them back into office. This has nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with phobia. So let us continue here. Like I said, this is just a, a little bit of the sampling of why I felt it was time to have this very direct conversation about the separation of church and state. Um, and we'll go a little deeper into some of these topics in later podcasts. We have a whole, a whole lot of things lined up, not just politics, but it's very important that you stay involved. So many people, when they see my videos, they ask, what can we do? And the first thing I say is, first of all, read Heather Cox Richardson. Make sure that you're getting a very good sourced material, but you stay involved and you understand how your legislatures are voting. Legislators are voting in, in office for you. They represent you. So there's a lot of uh, on our part where we need to step up to be educated and then make sure that we're doing everything we can do to protect our democracy. So the podcast that, I'm sorry, the, the pod, this podcast name is uh, Separation of Church and State, and the blog I wrote for this week is also called Separation of uh, Church and State, and it's called A Case for Separation of Church and State because I tell my story. And I was raised in the 60s and 70s where there very much over the years has been this incredible blending of religion with politics. I can very vividly remember seeing uh, when we had the, it wasn't the winter concert, it was the Christmas concert, where right up front in front of all of us kindergartners and first and second graders would be a nativity scene and somebody's baby brother or sister was playing baby Jesus. This was at a public school and every song that we sang had religious implications, maybe one or two from Santa Claus. But for the most part, it was very much entrenched in Christianity. I don't know that anybody ever gave a thought to anybody in the audience who or at school who may have been um, of the Jewish faith or may have been atheist. It didn't matter because at that time, it was the majority, the Christian, the white Christian who held the power. And that was just an accepted norm until, of course, you started to see things push back. But in my blog, I tell the story of uh, 
I, for the most part, I had a pretty good experience. I was at the time in a grade school where it was primarily Catholic. So, I mean, there would be times and I was raised Southern Baptist, but so there would be times, especially on uh, times like Ash Wednesday, where the whole school would just clear out. There wouldn't be anybody in sight because everybody had left to go get to go to mass. And they would come back and then we would just be left in a homeroom or study hall or something like that, waiting for everybody to get back because the school just basically shut down. But this one particular time where somehow we got on baptism and I had mentioned that I had not been baptized yet. And I mean, it was everyone was really upset for me. My, my, my classmates were really upset for me because they could not understand why I wasn't baptized. And I said, it's, it's, we just don't do it in the Southern Baptist faith. We don't baptize babies. Well, this was, they were not going to let this go until we finally decided to take it to my teacher. And I just thought she was so cool. She was just the, the neatest, you know, very hip for the time dressed in the seventies to the nines, every, all the clothes that we all wanted. She had them all. And someone basically just said, is she going to hell? And she goes, well, you weren't baptized as a baby. So yes, those are her exact words. I remember feeling just absolutely crushed. A teacher told me I was going to hell because I wasn't baptized and I had nightmares. And it wasn't until I was able to speak to my grandmother about it, that she assured me that that was absolutely not the case. Now, I think she was a little bit more pointed about uh, Catholicism in general, because within uh, a lot of evangelical churches, and I've been to many of them in different denominations and the non-denominational, which is basically where you'll find the modern American evangelical movement for the most part, which is all that is, is a translation of highly conservative, highly fundamental very much entrenched in uh, those beliefs that say women should be silent and being gay is a sin. So um, I, she, you know, she she was very critical of the Catholics and um, that that was very much part of our, of our faith. I mean, I attended Bible studies where it would talk, where the whole eight week series and it would be packed a standing room only would be about learning about other religions and why they were going, people are going to hell. I'm not kidding. I was a young adult when I would attend those Bible studies. And I'm sure some of you out there who are listening to this have had similar experiences. You don't walk away from those things feeling, well, there's a sense of arrogance that comes and entitlement that comes from you thinking that you're the chosen ones, number one. But number two, also thinking that you really have a gift of evangelism because you're going to save the entire world from damnation if you don't tell, speak of your faith. So uh, lots of stuff going on there, uh, but I wanted to circle back here and let's get going about uh, what we're talking about here. But please go read my blog at numasoul.com, but I also encourage you to make sure that you read about Heather. Heather Cox Richardson is, I'm gonna be relying heavily on her uh, for this uh, podcast because I read her daily. Um, she is an American historian and professor of history at Boston College. Last year, she started a, or in 2019, I believe it was, um, she started a uh, writing to America, calling it Letters to America. And she was able to tie what is happening now 
in the United States to our history and why it's such a dangerous time for us. So I read her all the time because she gives me that, that her historical perspective that allows me to also bring in the concept of religion. She talks quite often about the separation of church and state. And on November 15th, I think, she wrote, uh, this year she wrote about it, and we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But please make sure you find her. Heather Cox Richardson, you can find her on Facebook. You can subscribe to her uh, letters via Substack. You, if you type in her name in Google, you will find her and you, you can subscribe. It's free, or you can also support her for a couple dollars a month if that's something you want to do. She's also written a couple of books. But in this letter that she wrote on November 15th, I'm sorry, she um, is talking about former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. And he was speaking at a conference in Texas, and this was a Christian-based conference. And during that conference, Flynn says, if we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, we have to have one religion, one nation under God, and one religion under God. He said that out loud. Now, I also did a response video to that on TikTok, so you can go see that as well if you haven't already. But um, Heather goes on to write about why calling for one religion is unconstitutional. So the First Amendment to our Constitution reads, and I quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of a religion. Now go back to what Michael Flynn said. One nation under God and one religion under God. So it is definitely calling for one religion is unconstitutional. Whether, whether Flynn is, is signaling to that Christian, that extremist Christian base, but also signaling to what possibly could happen somewhere down the line with our, the Supreme Court. I don't know, but it's very concerning words because Congress definitely says that they, they will, or I'm sorry, the uh, Constitution definitely says that we shall make no law respecting just one establishment of a religion. And Heather points out in this letter that she writes here that James Madison, who was a key contributor to the Constitution, he had witnessed the fallout of blending religion with the state in his home state of Virginia. So out of those experiences, he and many of his colleagues at the time believed that society uh, should tolerate different religious practices because he was start starting to see what could happen if one religion felt entitled to be in power. Now, I wanna make something very clear here. We're not talking about Christian denominations. Throughout the world, there's 25 to 30,000 in different, different times, at least 25, maybe 40,000. There's no reporting agency that, that keeps them all straight. And you might have one denomination that's just one church or two churches or something like that. And now with this new title of non-denomination, um, it's, it's almost like a branding to say that you're more liberal. It, it's definitely a marketing tool to say you're more liberal than some, but, but that you're also not beholden 
to some of what would be the uh, theology inside, say, a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church or something like that. But like I said earlier, this is where you'll find some of the most conservative extremist views inside a non-denominational church. It's a branding package. And you'll often see uh, a good example of that is the Hillsong, uh, Hillsong church model, which is now worldwide with thousands of churches, but not only with the Hillsong churches, but the churches that follow that model, that branding model, and with the modern church vibe, the pastors in jeans, the rock bands, even smoke screen, screens, uh, smoke machines, and even blacked out sanctuaries to give this, this modern hip vibe uh, very much will be like, can uh, appear very welcoming, uh, but absolutely not affirming to the LBGTQIA plus community. I know from personal experience, this is what it is. Even when they come up with talking points like, oh, we love everybody, not unless you're seeing a gay pastor up there who's baptizing and ordaining and officiating at weddings. And unless you're seeing them in leadership and in the wor worship band, they are not an affirming church. They're blending, they're blending the marketing gimmicks to make it feel like that because that's what they rely on to keep bringing people in. So, but that's the, any of that, any of what I just talked about, whether it's a denomination, it's a non-denominational, that's still part of the whole Christianity that's in a bucket. It's all part of the same thing. When you're talking about religions, you're talking about Islam. You're talking about <laughs> what's going on with my grand dog over there. So just excuse that. She's over here breathing real hard. She's fine. She's just getting old. And I think sometimes she, uh, she gets a little sick. So please, please, uh, I assure you, she's doing just fine over here. Sorry about that. But uh, what I would, it, it's Islam, it's Judaism, it's, it's atheism, it's agnosticism, it's whatever it is that is your ability to think critically and independent of anything, because you come to a religion free or you stay out of religion free of any influence of any kind of government interference, that is exactly what they're talking about here with religious practices, not just making a denomination within Christianity, the primary focus through which we uh, govern our nation or their state or whatever. But Madison even took it a little bit farther. He was a huge contributor to the Declaration of Rights inside Virginia. And those Declaration of Rights that Virginia crafted, that, that Madison contributed greatly to, they also heavily influenced our own nation's Bill of Rights. Now, those, uh, those Bill of Rights read, quote, that religion or the duty which we owe to our creator and the manner of discharging it can be directed only by reason and conviction, not by force or violence. And therefore all men are equally entitled to the free exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience. And that it is the mutual duty of all to practice Christian forbearance, love and charity toward each other, end quote. Okay, I think. I think my grand dog finally settled down here too. <laughs> I tried to talk louder so that you're not listening to that. Next time I'm going to have to kick her out. I, I'm, I'm sorry about this. Um, so Madison felt that if the country was represented by one religion, the government would be weakened, that the balance came in having people who came from all walks of life, all different kinds of cultural and belief systems. 
Now, in response to this, Heather Cox Richardson went on to write, and I quote, the establishment of one religion over others attacked a fundamental human right, an unalienable right of conscience. If lawmakers could destroy the right of freedom of conscience, they could destroy all other unalienable rights. Those in charge of government could throw representative government out the window and make themselves tyrants, end quote. Okay, so back to today and Michael Flynn, to, to today, uh, in today's time, and Michael Flynn's call for one religion. This was Michael Flynn singing to the extremist base that is loyal to Donald Trump. Those 80% of evangelicals who still voted for him in 2020 and who were in intricately involved in the January 6th insurrection. It's uh, when Paul Gozar, the representative from Arizona, uh, a, a, a Christian, according to his own website and I believe his Twitter account, he published that animated video of him killing Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and attacking the president of the United States. Not one, not one Republican condemned him, not one. Now you go through, just pick a name, pick a name of any Republican that's in office and go look at their website and you tell me how many boasts of being a Christian and not one of them condemned that behavior. Friends, returning back to my experience, to my childhood, to the countless people who share similar stories of public education experiences where teachers told, now I'm going, now I'm going back to, I've been on TikTok now for 18, 18 months and I've been writing several years. And the, some of the things that people have said that they're their uh, English, their third grade teacher told a redhead that she was the daughter of the devil because she had red hair. Uh, a children of the single, a single mom who were told that, they're, that they were heathens because their mom was single and not married, even though the father is the one who left. The black children being told that they were inferior because the Bible said they were. They were told these things in a public school. The misrepresentation and weaponizing of 1619 Project and the critical race theory. I also want to mention another website that you might find interesting. And again, it will be in the show notes. Freedom from Religion Foundation, which is FFRF.org. And one of the things that they work towards is making sure that people understand their rights, that you have the constitutional right. I didn't know this. I should, I should have. Students have a constitutional right not to participate in the Pledge of Allegiance. They also don't have to be, they should not be berated if they choose not to say one nation under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. That phrase wasn't even added until 1954. So there's a lot of rights that are we as Americans and our students need to know about. And the more we are educated and know that, the better off we will be. But what you're seeing here is the lawful and unethical and egregious actions of our legislatures who are beholden to a narcissistic tyrant. That is what's happening here. This whole thing that's happening, this whole movement is on, has us on the verge of holding this country captive. One thing I often 
remind our followers on social media is when I, when, when the 1964 voting rights passed, which was an, was absolutely imperative for, for rights uh, for, for black people in this country, I was three years old. I was seven years old when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. The people who fought against equal rights for black people, for women, for people of color are all still alive and they are all still in power. When you look at the makeup of those holding political office in this country, white men are 30% of the US population, but 62% of the office holders. 30% of the US population, but 62% of the office holders. We must work for and demand change that protects all of us and pushes us out the caustic, and pushes out the caustic and dangerous influence of not just one religion, but one segment of that religion. Now I'm going to close with something I say all the time. And I hope for so many of us who are concerned and want to know what to do, this becomes your mantra until we have pushed out the people who, who are jeopardizing rights for all of us, but especially the marginalized groups. And it is this, human rights should take precedence over religious beliefs, but when your religious beliefs compel you to believe that you are the keeper of the moral compass that will govern all of our lives, then your religious beliefs are entrenched in sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia, and anti-Semitism. We mustn't forget that human rights should always, always, take precedence over religious beliefs, that is the American, the future that we want for this country, that is democracy, that is spirituality, that is our combined humanity. That's why we work for the good of the whole. And blessed be. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you and I pray you receive something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I will see you soon. Bye for now. to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now!